Welcome to Deeper, a podcast by Wollongong Baptist Church. Join us as we take the plunge and dive deeper into God's Word, the Bible. Here, we'll unpack and examine further the Bible talks presented on Sundays across our three English-speaking services. Today, we'll be thinking through more from our latest instalment in our apologetic series titled Conversations That Matter, as we seek to thoughtfully respond to the sincere questions asked by many about the Christian faith and church. So let's get right into it and dive deeper. Well, hi there, it's Ken Davies here. Uh, Grace is away at the moment, so you have a special guest presenter for Deeper uh, this week. Uh, Mark's here with us talking about the sermon that he preached on Sunday, Why Should We Trust the Bible? So Mark, can you give us a summary of what your talk covered? Yeah, sure, happy to. Uh, So uh, on Sunday we looked at uh, this question, why should we trust the Bible? And we acknowledged uh, kind of first off that there's plenty of things in the Bible or about the Bible uh, that make it a book which many people don't think is worthy of trust. Uh, And so we looked pretty honestly at some of those those tougher, more problematic parts of the Bible, at least briefly. Um, uh, And just saying that uh, a lot of people think that the Bible is fake news, it's all made up. Uh, But uh, we we also then asked the question, well, is it possible that we've believed uh, some of the lies about the Bible? Maybe the fake news is what we've heard about the Bible and not the Bible itself. Uh, And so we spent a bit of time digging into three of the biggest objections that people have uh, as to why they wouldn't ever trust the Bible. Uh, We looked at the idea that there's just too many contradictions in the Bible to take it seriously. Uh, We looked at the idea that the Bible might have been lost in transmission across the years. And so there's no way of knowing that the Bible we've got today is what the uh, original authors wrote. And then we looked at the, the objection that, well, really, at the end of the day, the Bible's not understandable anyway. Truth is all relative, and so how could anybody actually claim to know the Bible, uh, know what the Bible's saying? And so we looked at those three objections, and what I tried to do was to uh, show how perhaps they're actually standing on shakier ground than uh, people first uh, assume. Uh, And so after trying to show some of the evidence as to uh, why those objections don't hold much water, uh, I then kind of wanted to turn the tables a little bit and um, uh, and ask people to consider uh, whether uh, the people who do trust the Bible are seeing something in the Bible that people who don't trust it aren't. And so we had a look at Luke chapter 24, where Jesus explains to his disciples that the whole Bible is about him. And he gives us this really beautiful summary of uh, what the, the message of the Bible is about. Uh, about the Messiah who's come to rescue people from their sins uh, by suffering for them and rising again uh, to fulfill all that was written about him. Uh, and so we saw that really at the heart of the Bible, it's a love story. And when we start to see that love story, uh, then it's a story that uh, not only, uh, as J.R.R. Tolkien says, uh, is a story which is um, believable for the sake of the evidence about it, but also it's a story which we should deeply want to be true. And so that was kind of where we ended up Uh, with the challenge um, of trying to urge people to think about uh, whether they're willing to investigate Jesus, who's at the center of the Bible, uh, and determine whether they think he's trustworthy. Because really, at the end of the day, the decision to trust the Bible or not, uh, there's a bigger decision behind that, which is the decision to trust Jesus or not. And so we wanted to try and get people to think about uh, whether he uh, really knows what he's talking about, whether he has their interests 
in uh, their best interests at heart and uh, whether they themselves are trustworthy or they need to secede uh, the trust in their life, if you like, the authority in their life to, to Jesus instead. All right. Um, so some parts of the Old Testament, if, if Jesus is the key to interpreting the whole Bible, some parts of the Old Testament pretty easily point forward to Jesus. Sacrifice in the Old Testament clearly fulfilled in Jesus being the sacrifice for us. But some parts of the Old Testament, like the weird laws about food, uh, clothing being woven of two different materials, even mold in your house, the link to Jesus is a little less clear. How do those parts also point to Jesus or find their fulfillment in him? Yeah, I would have liked to have been able to uh, address this question a little bit more uh, head on in the talk, but... Uh, for the sake of time, didn't actually get to go into it. Um, it is the it's one of the elephants in the room. Um, I pointed to the fact that we've got those laws, like the don't eat shellfish and the laws about not wearing um, clothing of mixed fabric in the Old Testament, and that in itself causes some people to dismiss uh, the Bible. But again, as you said, we saw that Jesus claims that everything that was written in the law was about him. So how does that work? Um how is it that there are those kind of laws in the Old Testament that somehow are supposed to point us to Jesus? Well, I think in some cases, the Old Testament laws are, are pretty clear. As you say, you've got the instructions uh, about the sacrificial laws, um, which very clearly are anticipating the need of a, a sacrifice for sin. Um, and those things, are, those themes are picked up uh, very, very strongly by the New Testament writers uh, to explain that that Jesus' sacrifice for us was what those laws were always going to be leading uh, to or drawing us to. Uh, you do also have, I think, a whole bunch of uh, the laws in the Old Testament which are based on um, God's created order and uh, uh, laws where God is giving us guidelines about how to live well in this world in a way that's consistent with his character, his holy character, his his love, his justice, his mercy. Uh, and so there's a whole bunch of behaviors that are uh, commanded through those Old Testament laws, which are supposed to point to the character of a holy God. Uh, and so, again, what we do see in the New Testament is Jesus as the one who fulfills the law, the one true law keeper, and the one who actually... Um, knows what's at the heart of the law and perfectly fulfills that, the law of love, Jesus says. That's the, essentially the summary of all of the Old Testament laws. And we see in Jesus the only one who could ever keep those laws. And so I think there's a sense in which we're supposed to read all of those kind of Old Testament laws and wonder how could anybody possibly keep these things. And that question only ever gets answered uh, when we meet Jesus and see him as, as the one true law keeper. Um, there are some laws, though, where I, I, I sympathize with this question that it, it's really hard to determine how some of these things uh, are supposed to point us to Jesus, like the, the shellfish laws, like the clothing laws and those sort of things. I guess what I would say is that there are a bunch of those laws about um, things that are clean and things that are unclean and things that you will do that will make you clean and unclean, um, which... I think on some level, God is trying to, he gives those laws to Israel to teach them a particular worldview, uh, a worldview where there is um, sin and there is contamination from sin. There are consequences of that in terms of being excluded from the presence of God. Um, and I think what God is trying to do in part with giving those laws is to teach people uh, that 
um, they do through the uh, through their particular behaviours um, exclude themselves from fellowship with God. They're trying to he's he's almost giving them object lessons, if you like, um, to to teach them that that's how the world works. Uh, and so again, when we get to Jesus, we see that. Um, clean, unclean kind of uh, metaphor uh, ratcheted up a notch. And Jesus says, actually, it's not just, um, you know, the food that you eat that goes into your mouth that makes you unclean. Actually, the thing that makes you unclean is what's in your heart. That's the bigger issue. And Jesus is the only one who's going to come and deal with uh, that issue um, in a comprehensive kind of a way. So um, you may have noticed that I'm kind of dancing around the question here because uh, I don't think that the Bible actually gives us a very concrete answer as to uh, why God gave the laws about those particular things being unclean or, 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 or clean. Um, I don't think we ever actually see inside the mind of God and know the answer to that. Um, but as I said, I think the way that we're supposed to read it as pointing to Jesus is showing us of our, showing us our own sin, showing us our inability to keep the law uh, and showing us really that Jesus is the only one who perfectly keeps the law and can deal with the cause, the root cause of our sin, which is our hearts. Okay. That's great. Um, so you said in your talk on Sunday that the central teachings of Christianity are clear, quoting Mark Twain, the reality that uh, it's not the difficult passages that we struggle with as much as the ones that are clear, uh, and, we, and we resonate with that. The reality is, but there is also a number of opinions, there's varied interpretations of the Bible. Should we just all agree to disagree, or how can we more helpfully think about diversity of beliefs about the Bible? Yeah, uh, I really like this question, um, partly because I've, I've done a reasonable amount of thinking about it, wrote some stuff about it a few years ago uh, when I was at Bible college, um, because it's a real, um, it's a question which uh, actually really impacts the way that we do church, impacts our, our Christian experience. I think we all have to have some kind of an answer to this. What is it okay to, to disagree on? When, when is it okay for Christians to agree to disagree can we ever do that? What things is it that, that fall into that category? So I guess where I'd want to start in answering this question is to say, uh, or to reiterate, um, that there really are some things in the Bible, the central truths of the Bible, uh, where it's not okay to agree to disagree on. Uh, they're what the Bible calls matters of first importance. So 1 Corinthians 15, that's where we get that idea from, that the central truths of the gospel uh, fall into that category. Um, John Calvin uh, said that there are um, some doctrines that should be unquestioned by all as the proper principles of religion. And this is Calvin's list. He said, what we ought to believe is that God is one, Christ is God and the Son of God. Our salvation rests in God's mercy and the like. Uh, it's a pretty short list. There's lots of various ways of thinking about those matters of first importance. But on those things... Uh, we can never agree to disagree because Scripture speaks abundantly clearly about those things. Uh, but then what about everything else? Because as you say, uh, there are churches up the road from us who believe pretty different stuff to us about a whole range of issues. Um, what do we do with them? Are they right? Are we right? Are we both right? Are neither of us right? Um, I guess I want to uh, say that in Scripture, there is a category uh, for something called matters of indifference, 
uh, or disputable matters is the other way that it's described, Romans chapter 14. Um, and this seems to be issues uh, that uh, the Apostle Paul seems to think it's okay for Christians to have different beliefs on uh, based on uh, the, their own conscience. And so in, in uh, Romans chapter 14, it's about eating meat sacrificed to idols. Uh, and he says that it's okay for Christians to believe different things on that and to continue to love one another and continue to be in fellowship with one another and, and not to cause each other to stumble on those things. Uh, so the Bible's got both categories. It's got matters of first importance and it's got matters of indifference. And so a lot of people, I think, conclude then, well, if it's not a matter of first importance, if it's if it's not a gospel issue, then let's just disagree about it. That's okay. It's fine. Let's still just keep doing church together and everything else that's not a gospel issue must be a matter of indifference. And I don't think that that's actually doing justice to the Bible at that point, because I think what we see in Scripture is actually uh, the apostles uh, and the, the other writers of the New Testament arguing for uh, particular practices and particular beliefs about a whole range of issues that are not f- sort of first order, first importance gospel issues. They're arguing for, for one way of doing things. They're not saying anything goes when it comes to baptism. They're not saying anything goes when it comes to the role of the Spirit in our lives. They're not saying anything goes when it comes to how we organize and structure our churches. Uh, they're arguing for a particular point of view. So there's a whole range of doctrines and beliefs, I think, that we have to put into kind of that middle category. It's not first importance. You can still be a Christian and believe something different on these issues, but neither is it a matter of indifference because it actually does impact our, uh, our, our lived Christian experience. I would say then what that middle category is are a category of doctrines where we ought to, as best we can, try and discern the truth of the scriptures. And we ought to try and pursue uh, a, a uniformity of belief. Uh, we, we ought to try and believe the same thing, the truth on this. Because the reality is that in God's mind, there is uh, a perfect kind of an orthodoxy. There is one right way of doing church. There is one right belief about baptism. There is one right understanding about what the Spirit is doing in our lives, etc. We ought to try and figure those things out from Scripture. And so the way to do that is to do it humbly. There's often um, this uh, language that gets thrown around about holding things with a, a, a tight grip or a tight hand and a loose grip or an open hand. And I think that's helpful, um, that those first order gospel issues, we don't negotiate on them. We hold on to them uh, and we die on that hill if we need to. But then things that are a bit further from the center of the Christian faith, those other doctrines, other issues where Christians do disagree, we want to hold those things a little bit more loosely and in humility be able to have our minds changed about those things if Scripture leads us to believe something different to what we've always believed or currently believing on that. And so I think we want to be like the Bereans in Acts, uh, that when uh, they come along, uh, someone comes along and, and they hear a new, uh, uh, a new doctrine being told to them, what do they do? They go and search the Scriptures. Uh, and so I think uh, what we ought to do when we're talking with Christians in our church or Christians from other churches who believe different things to us is acknowledge that the Bible's crystal clear about this, the really important things, uh, but that it is also speaking with uh, one voice on all those other issues. And if we can't see what that is yet, then let's be humble enough to search the scriptures together and try and see what God is teaching us in these places. Mm, wow. <laughs> There's a lot of work that we've still got to do. Um, 
You started your talk with an example of trusting someone, trusting your wife. Um, our trust in people grows with time and good experiences. Our trust can be broken uh, by bad experience. How can trust in a book grow? Yeah, um, it's an interesting question, that one. How can our trust in a book grow? Uh, I think I want to say that what's happening as we um, live with the Bible and read the Bible and obey the Bible is that we're not actually trusting a book. We're trusting the author of that book. We're trusting the one who the book is about, the one who is speaking through that book. Uh, and so uh, Christians who live with the Bible and, and can't live without the Bible are people who are learning to trust Jesus, really. I think that's what's going on there. Um so how does that happen? How can we grow in our, our trust of what Jesus says to us in Scripture uh, and, and in living that out? Uh, my experience being a Christian for 15 years or so is that often um, steps of obedience uh, start without really a full comprehension of why I'm being told to do this or why this thing will be good for me or uh, what are the other implications of this are going to be. Um, uh, but often because we we can trust uh, the one who is giving the command. We say, okay, it's just like uh, uh, children and parents. Often we ask our, our children to obey us and to do what we say, even when they don't understand the reasons behind it. Uh, I find that my obedience to Jesus often begins in the same way. But over time, as we learn to um, to live that way and we and we start to, to pattern our lives around his commands to us and his guidance and his wisdom to us in scripture we do start to see that he's actually trustworthy and that uh, what he's calling us to is good and proper and right and more joyous uh, than any other path in life that he could be asking us to do and so i think i would say uh, to the question how can we uh, learn to to keep uh, growing in our trust of what jesus is saying to us I'd say start doing it and start learning uh, how good it is to live the Savior's way. And uh, you'll, uh, over time, I think, start to see that uh, even those parts of Scripture that seem hard and that confront you and that are going to cause you to, to need to change, uh, that those things are for your good. And, and because you trust the one who's giving them to you, you'll uh, gladly uh, start to obey those things too. Um, it was great as a Christian to see diagrams representing um, just how strong the evidence is for the the factuality of the the, the Bible. Um, it's an encouragement to see that if historians uh, were just using the evidence to think about something that was neutral, there'd be no doubts at all. Um, and so for people who are open, uh, to considering the facts, then they may be willing to take on some of that evidence and actually evaluate it. But how can we approach those who are committed to their belief that the Bible is the fake news? Yeah, well, I, I hope in part that the sermon on Sunday um, gave a bit of an example about how to uh, interact with people who are pretty already set in their opinions about the Bible. Um, the the whole rationale for this sermon series is to, to be able to give you guys, members of our church, examples of how to steer conversations towards Jesus when you're interacting with people who hold firmly to these beliefs. So hopefully there's some, some wisdom that you can pick up there, but I guess a few things to point out are that um, I think for, for the people who, who we interact with who are so set in their mind that the Bible is not trustworthy for a whole range of reasons. 
the worst thing that you can do straight out of the gate is tell them they're wrong and show them in the Bible why they're wrong, uh, you, because that will just prove to them that you're um, you're living in a world of circular reasoning where the Bible tells you it's reliable and therefore you trust that the Bible's reliable. Um, that just does not convince people, I've found in my experience. And so what I tried to do on Sunday was to start by kind of resonating with people and acknowledging that um, there are plenty of reasons why uh, treating this book seriously uh, is 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 uh, complicated and uh, problematic. Um, start with some of those resonating kind of uh, agreement things that you can actually say, yeah, wow, that is hard, isn't it? I find that hard even. Yeah, that's in the book that I trust and whew, I, I wrestle with that still. Being able to say those things I think is quite disarming to people. Uh, there is kind of a, a, a Christian belief out there um, this kind of um, almost uh, worship of the Bible that I think uh, can blind people, uh, blind Christians from um, uh, interacting helpfully with, with people who don't trust the Bible. There can be such a closed kind of mindedness to um, understand where other people are coming from. This, You, you sometimes hear people say, well, um, uh, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. You know, it's it's in the Bible. There's no questions to be asked about it. So, get on with believing it, and and you know, stop asking, stop doubting that kind of thing. And I just, I, I don't think that's helpful. Um, so I guess I would I would say, uh, yeah, start by agreeing with them that uh, uh, there are things that are problematic, but invite them, as I tried to do on Sunday, to to entertain a hypothetical, um, entertain the possibility that perhaps they've not got a completely accurate picture of the Bible. That's a pretty small pill to swallow, really, just to say, hey, look, maybe for the next 10 minutes, why don't we have a conversation where you you play the hypothetical role of someone who's still open to the Bible, and let's talk about that for a few minutes. Um, most people can swallow that. What can be helpful, and something that I've done from time to time with people that I'm uh, trying to uh, explain the gospel to, is to say, well, you know, if you're willing to entertain my point of view, I'll entertain your point of view as well. So why don't you tell me why you don't believe the Bible and then I can tell you why I do and, and give them the, the sort of the right to speak and, and give their position first and uh, earn the right to speak your position. That can be a good way of doing it. Similarly, ultimately what we want to do is, is we want to take people to the Bible and we want to help them to see Jesus, who's at the center of the Bible, uh, because he is the one who wins our hearts as we meet him in Scripture. Uh, so really the goal of the conversation should be, uh, hey, would you read the Bible with me? Would you look at the life of Jesus? And let's just see what you think of him. Um, that, though, is a much bigger pill for people to swallow. And so something I've done from time to time is say, well, if you read the Bible with me, then I'll read one of your books, uh, something that you believe. Uh, this may shock people uh but uh a few years ago um i agreed to read the satanic bible uh with uh, a family member who was um pretty into that stuff at the time if that family member agreed to read the bible with me now uh i can understand that people might might question that but uh there is uh that allowed me the possibility the the um the opportunity to point this person to jesus in scripture, and I wouldn't have had that if I didn't agree to um, to to read one of their texts. Uh, so that can be a good way of doing it as well. Um, yeah, there's a few thoughts anyway. Well, thanks so much, Mark, for joining us. Uh, it's been really helpful to think through more of the the reasons why we should trust the Bible. Um, 
Thank you everyone for joining the podcast. Uh, I hope it's been helpful and if there are further questions then feel free to interact with us on that. Uh, please join us again on Sunday as we look at the question, why are Christians such hypocrites? You have been listening to Deeper by Wollongong Baptist Church. We'd love you to join us at any of our services this coming Sunday. For details and to hear further content, please head to our website at wollongongbaptist.org.